Good morning, everyone. Great to see everybody here today. If you'd be so kind as to take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians once again. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This will be the third and final installment of this little mini-series within a series on this section about a little foolishness that Paul is saying uh, he has been practicing in their presence, and we've talked about that quite a bit the last couple of weeks. Lord willing, we'll finish it up today. Chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, we're going to begin reading at verse 16 and read through verse 28. As you are able, please, if you'd stand with me for the reading of God's holy word. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast, but even if you do accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this, uh, with this boastful confidence, I say not with the Lord's authority, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. In danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. God adds his blessing to the reading of his word Please do be seated. Being genuine is something that a person who is bound up in sin has a hard time with. I mean, even a seared conscience knows deep down that he or she is not right. And so efforts are made to cover up one's flaws with self-promotion at the expense of others, or perhaps a, a show of strength that's there on the surface that is really not real underneath, or touting one's own position and accomplishments. Such false posturing ultimately only tears down relationships, tears down and besmirches the testimony of Christ, and renders our service for him, renders our testimony to be uh, uh, null and void, to, to, uh, 
the degree that we are engaged in this false uh, picture that we are presenting toward others. You need a different kind of resume if you're going to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not the sort that mankind thinks is all that great. I think most adults here have probably prepared a resume at one time or the other, some kind of a recommendation or at least a list of your accomplishments and what you've done, your work history, your schooling, so on and so forth, as you are applying for a job. And, you know, there's resumes, and then there's resumes. My wife and I used to teach at a business college over in uh, Federal Way, no, Auburn, Washington, years ago. And we taught classes to those students on how to draft resumes. There's the old boring kind, here's my name, phone number, I went to school here, this, there, and the other place, this years and those years, and I worked here from such and such a time to such and such a time, and here's my references, done. And a lot of employers look at that and go, hmm, yeah, anybody could have written that. But then there's the resumes that bear some mark of authenticity, that are more personal, and uh, sometimes it's, <laughs> we had to get a, some of them not to write books, uh, it's just, it's got to be. It's got to be succinct as well, but to show some creativity and that there's some there's three dimensions to this person, not just uh, not just bravado and not just we'll see what I did. So therefore, uh, you should hire me. In much the same way, Paul Paul's detractors were looking at Paul and saying to him and about him that he was weak, that he clearly was petty, uh, that he really was not of not much account, calling his apostleship into question. And we, on the other hand, uh, you know, we are uh, the ones that should be leading the church and not this Paul guy. Because we have, we, have, we have a better resume. And yet, so Paul starts looking at this in this particular section, and he's already talked about uh, this foolishness. We've seen here, even in this passage, once again, his emphasis upon foolishness. I'm speaking as a fool. If you want to consider me a fool, all right. But the kind of foolishness that he has been practicing is not what the world thinks of as worthwhile. And yet, what he's talking about is exactly what the world needs. Jealousy for the righteousness and faithfulness and protection of others, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. And then last week, we talked about weakness that um, is exhibited in the vulnerability and the service towards others. And then here in the middle of this, this, this larger section is this incredible resume. Now, you'll notice in your notes, I did some things with parentheses because I like to do stuff like that to make you think. So... Uh, I, love, I love plays on words. So we talk about things that are incredible, and that word gets used a lot, does it not? I'd say really overused. Wow, that's incredible. And it's like, okay, yeah, <laughs> that was nice. Um, incredible and credible are two related words, obviously. When we say that something is credible, that means it, it comes from the Latin word, Credo, which means, anybody know what it means? I believe. 
Okay, so in other words, if you say something is credible, you're saying it is believable. It, it uh, has warrant as something that can be considered. If it's incredible, that means it's, it's beyond belief. Now, the, uh, Paul, and Paul, I think, is playing this off through this whole section, the, the entire section, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 11 and running on through 12, 13, showing the contrast between him and those who have been opposing him. But here, it, it is in its most stark reality as to, here are these guys that have been saying all this stuff about me, and here's my resume. They are trying to be credible. And Paul is looking in this first section here of, the, of the, what we just read uh, from beginning of verse 16. He's looking at this and going, basically, we would put it to, and you believe this stuff? Really? Corinthians? They're saying, they're the leaders, this is what they do, and you believe it? Well, let me tell you about my incredible, unbelievable resume that's actually the real thing. And that's what's going on a big picture in this section. So let's break it down and take a look at, at uh, how Paul develops this. So he, a lot of irony here, as uh, I've already suggested, beginning at verse 16. Uh, this resume has uh, quite a bit of contrast between uh, him and those who have opposed him. And, I've, and this first little section, I've kind of summed up, well, will the real fool stand up? This, these three verses are just dripping with sarcasm. Um, I'm glad that there are passages where sarcasm is appropriately used in the scriptures. It gives me a feeling of warmth inside that I have some justification for being a little sarcastic every once in a while. Hopefully not in an evil way. But anyway, here in these opening verses, will the real fool stand up? Paul is saying, okay, don't, don't think of me as foolish. Don't, but if you're going to, um, accept me that way. So, I'm gonna boast, so I can boast a little too. In other words, if you can boast, so can I. So let's see who the real fool is here, Paul is saying. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not with the Lord's authority, but as a fool. So he's, he's saying... I'm not, I'm not saying that the Lord is being a smart aleck here. But I have something to say about my own credentials, and he, he speaks in his defense, and is not willing to let them just have, have the floor without an answer coming back to them. Since many boast according to the flesh, okay, fair is fair. You can do that. Then let's, let's talk. Let's trot it out. Let's really see. There's a, there's a bit of a feel here uh, to the Lord in the prophet Isaiah when he's speaking to the nation of Israel who have all these complaints against God and somehow God has failed them. And, and it's, in, it's like 41, 42, 43, and through there. There's this whole section where it's, 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 the Lord sets it up like it's a courtroom. He's saying... All right, here's the accusations. Now I am calling you to the bar to answer and tell me really what your complaint is and then I will respond. 
very similar kind of situation. And basically, the Lord is coming back to Israel and points out to them that they don't have a leg to stand on. And Paul is following that same kind of pattern here, and he sets it up with these opening verses. So he begins then saying, all right, let's look at these people, that Corinthians, that you have been so happy to put up with. Let's look at it. And let's contrast this, in this resume of contrast here, let's, the contrast is between Paul and those who have been oppressing the Corinthian church. And how have they been oppressing them? Look at, what, look at this list here. You gladly bear with fools being wise yourself. You obviously can't get taken in. And yet somehow, inexplicably, you put up with this oppression. And what did this oppression look like in the Corinthian church? Well, first of all, you bear it if someone makes slaves of you. Now, I think uh, it's probably obvious to all of us that at that time, in that place, slavery was a known quantity. It was a common, everyday thing. The Corinthians, for those of you that were here at the very beginning, when we started the whole discussion about the Corinthian church a few years ago, when we went through 1 Corinthians, uh, and then we repeated it with 2 Corinthians, a proud people, rich, decadent, full of arts, it was an intellectual center, government center, financial center, all of that stuff going on there in Corinth. They were very proud of themselves, considered themselves to be the pinnacle of Greek civilization, and they were, of course, horrid, wretched cesspool of wickedness. But nonetheless, they thought of themselves as being free and liberated and could do what they want to, and yet these people that have stood up in the church and tried to throw out Paul and everything that has to do with him because they don't want to listen to his authority, they want to exert their own authority, they are making slaves out of these people. Now, not in the literal sense, but in binding their consciences, essentially doing the same things that the Pharisees did to the people of Israel when Jesus pronounced his woe upon them in Matthew chapter 23 and said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Because what the Pharisees did was that they added layer after layer after layer of their own traditions, their own laws, their own authority, on top of what God had said and said, this is the word of God. And if you don't obey this, you clearly don't love God, even though God had nothing to do with it. And apparently things like that were going on in the Corinthian church. I think it's, in a, even in a congregation of this size, even though we're not huge, um, I know that some of you have come from other churches. How about that? Pretty perceptive on that. Some of you have probably been in churches or have visited churches or know of churches, maybe family members have been involved in, where well-meaning but misguided leadership um, has said, well, it's basically our way or the highway. Right? And they add on their, you've you got to believe this, you've got to practice this, you have to do this, or obviously you can't be here, you can't do this, you can't do that. Um, 
and, and worse than just a matter of activity and involvement is uh, if you're not, we, you know, we really question whether you're even a Christian if you don't knuckle down and do what we say. Um, apparently, that kind of thing was going on there. And yet they were willing to bear with that. Have you ever wondered why people put up with that kind of stuff? <coughs> I hope and pray you've never found yourself in a position where you were putting up with that kind of stuff. But why do, why do human beings do that? Why do we put up with that kind of oppression? Well, I'm, I have a theory about it. It's going to sound a little harsh, but I hope you bear with me on it. I think the reason people put up with that kind of oppression, with everybody dictating, with somebody else dictating to me what I have to do, and I just go along with it, without, without uh, a lot of pushback, is because it's easier than thinking. It's easier than going to God's word and saying, what has God said? It's easier to have somebody tell you what to do. Years ago, when Karen and I um, went to the Ukraine to, uh, to meet our son for the first time, we met some interesting people there. It was really, um, it was an amazing trip for lots of reasons, not just because of Eli, but uh, uh, for a lot of reasons. And one of them, the, uh, something that stuck with me, I think it has with Karen as well. We were talking with a lady there who uh, was a Christian gal, sister in Christ, and we had quite a conversation. We were asking about different things um, regarding life in the Ukraine after the Soviets had pulled out. And we had a whole different expectation of what the answer to the question we had, this one question was going to be. When we asked her, um, what life was like now that the Soviets were gone. And we were expecting, oh, this is great, this is wonderful, you know, do our own thing, da da da. Nope. Her answer said, was this. Said, we are like animals in a zoo when the keepers have left. We don't know what to do. And there were many who would have been very happy if the Russians had come back in and they had the food lines and they had everything else because at least they knew they could go stand in line and get something. But left on their own, now it was up to them. And that was a frightening prospect. So I think, why do people put up with oppression? It's easier than some, the, the, uh, the obligations that come with individual responsibility and all of that. Well, that, was certainly seemed to be taking, that certainly seemed to be taking place in the Corinthian church. Even beyond that, these guys were using their authority, as it says here, their position, um, to devour them. Now, this isn't about cannibalism. Obviously, Paul is speaking figuratively here. But um, I would suspect that what was going on there was what today we would call extortion. Or just uh, arm twisting, as often happens in Many churches. I mean, it's one of the reasons that some people don't go to church or have given up on the church is I've heard, I don't know how many dozens of times I've heard somebody say to me, well, all the church wants is money. So all the church wants is money. And unfortunately, there are churches where that seems to be true. Because, and it may be even well-meaning to begin with. Oh, we want to build this building. Or we want to go do this project. Or we want to do this, blah, 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 these other things. And yet it becomes about 
it, it, it becomes all about the business rather than the heart of what the church is there for. And, and the arm twisting. I'm, I've got not a church-related thing at all. I'm part of another organization that's going through some financial problems right now. It's a civic organization, private organization. And uh, they've got a lawsuit going on right now. And I'll tell you what, I'm about ready to tell them to take my membership and take a hike because uh, day after day after day, these efforts to guilt me into sending them money to help them with this lawsuit that they're going in. And I'm like, you just keep it up, pal, and you're going to lose somebody that could actually be a help to you. But anyway... People do that. Well-meaning people do that. And these folks, whether they were well-meaning or not, whether they were trying to get money to line their own pockets or just to do their pet projects that they thought God had called them to do it, nonetheless, they were devouring people uh, in their efforts to control them. Um, And that brings me to the next one here. uh, Devours you or takes advantage of you. Um... Basically imposing unlawful authority on them. Basically guilting them into doing whatever they said. Uh, we had a situation years ago where Karen and I were sitting in a church, the, the uh, particular tradition of which does not matter, so I won't mention that. But um, Basically the guy was standing up there and speaking all kinds of illogical, circular reasoning drivel that went something like this. Um, if you're really a Christian, you'll do whatever your man of God says. I'm your man of God, therefore you will do what I say. If you don't do that, well, then you're not a Christian. And Karen and I were sitting on the front row of that church, and Karen's just patting my leg. (laughs) Stay down. Stay down. Um, But churches do that. In an effort to, to, you know, make things go well, they've They've imagined themselves to be the, you know, God's gift to the to the world, or at least to that congregation, and they take they take to themselves authority that God never gave them to practice. Third, uh, take advantage of you, putting on airs. Well, this one's pretty obvious, right? Just um, want to be seen as better than they are. Or I put it here in the notes. Uh, how are they oppressing? They're by asserting their preeminence. That they're the ones that uh, everyone should, uh, you know, come up and kiss the hem of their toga. And this wasn't just a problem for Paul. Uh, the Apostle John, in his third epistle, in verse nine, says, "I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority." So it was a common problem then, and it's a problem. Uh, these days as well, there uh, there were those there in Corinth who were liking who who wanted to assert their uh, their uh, superiority over Paul and the the lawful authority that uh, that the Lord had given to him and uh, replace that and and the Corinthian church's congregation has been going along with this and as the final insult adding insult to injury is on. The, the last phrase there, verse 20, or strikes you in the face. Now, um, again, I really doubt that they were coming up and actually slapping somebody. 
But the word is a slap. And particularly a slap that is all about humiliating somebody. And so I'm taking this uh, figure of speech here that Paul is using and taking it as oppression through striving to control people through humiliation. Preachers need to be careful of this because it's, we, we want to see the Spirit of God convict people for sin and so on. But if we, if we forget that we're not the Spirit, um, we can take it on ourselves to just try to embarrass somebody in order to get them to comply. Pointing out to, pointing out to the congregation somebody's faults, doing something else in an effort to, to arm twist them publicly. I've seen it happen. Maybe you have too. Who knows what all, to what extent that they were doing it, but they were, they were using humiliation as a coercion tool to manipulate that congregation. And Paul says, I never did any of this, and yet you call me the fool. Essentially, in this section, Paul is calling their bluff, the, uh, the opposition's bluff. They're putting their cards on the table. Look, we have authority. We have this. We have that. We follow this guy, this guy, this guy. And, you know, we're, we've got, we've got the, uh, the power and the control here. That's what Paul we don't have. But we've got the qualifications and, and so on. And we're going to look at Paul's qualifications here in just a second. But they were certainly claiming some things that uh, they may have partial right to, but not entirely, and other things not at all. And yet this is the resume that the Corinthians, some of the Corinthians were willing to go along with rather than to pay attention to the actual incredible one that Paul was about to lay out before them. So let's look at, these, uh, at this resume, at Paul's resume. We've seen this ironic contrast of those that are, basically they threw something together and said, here, this should be good enough. And Paul said, no, it's not. I'm going to speak as a fool here. I'm going to boast a little bit. But um, you need to see the contrast in this resume. This resume of impeccable credentials. Now, we get a little clue here, beginning at verse um, uh, 21. <clears throat> Whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. What is, what is Paul saying there? I, I think the, the clue here, where we talked a little bit, trying to discern something of the identity, maybe not by name, but the, their position within the church of, of those who were in opposition to Paul. And we, we saw a few weeks ago that it, most likely someone who was in authority, so, held some office in the church, an elder, um, uh, perhaps, or deacons, or s somebody else who held an office in the church that were leading this party spirit against, against Paul. And here is this other clue. Are they Hebrews, Israelites, descendants of Abraham? <clears throat> I believe from reading that, that not only were these, whether it was a single man or a small group that was leading the charge against Paul, not only were they officers, but <clears throat> I believe that they were also Jewish believers, or at least they professed to know Christ, but they were Jewish. Not uncommon in the church, even in, even in places like Greece, um, where there's not a huge Jewish population. But remember, Paul often went to the synagogues first, and the 
and that was his plan. And there would be people that would be converted out of that and then others that rejected. But the synagogue system, by the way, it's an interesting study and we've talked about it in the past. We need to do it again probably at some point, maybe Sunday school and talking about origins of church government and so on. But synagogue pattern of worship and the elements that were there was was taken and refined and and um, I'll, I'll use the term Christianized in the in its basic forms, including leadership forms and all of that sort of thing. And it was not uncommon that in many of the early churches, even in Gentile areas, that those who were already used to functioning in a, a, in a leadership role in that kind of worship community would would be appointed to or voted in as as uh, as uh, elders and leadership in those new congregations as well. And it seems like that certainly has happened here in Corinth. Maybe not all the elders were that way, but here's a here people are saying, well, we're Hebrews of the Hebrews and you should be listening to us. And we're children of Abraham, so you should be listening to us. And Paul's going, good for you. So am I. And in fact, Paul in his day, not in this passage, but in other places, I mean, he talks about himself as uh, of the, being of the tribe of Benjamin. Maybe you can remember that. And you read that and go, oh, that's nice. Yeah, it really is nice. Because in the, during this time, almost nobody knew who their tribe was. Because of the dispersion and everything, uh, the Jews who were so proud of their lineage couldn't really say what they were. But Paul knew. There were others that you know knew as well. But this was, had been carefully guarded. In other words, they, you, know, you want to talk about your lineage? Great. I have huge lineage. Absolutely. If, if, you, if that's your credential, okay. I got it, and I got it in spades. Paul had a very certain lineage. And uh, so he wasn't giving any ground on that one. And then uh, take a look at verse 23. And another, another kind of credential here. So first of all, we start out with a credential of who I am. Here's my family. Here's where I'm coming from. All right. But now in verse 23, we read, Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. And then also in verse 28, we'll put it with that. Um, Apart from other things, the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. I'm putting these two things together as credentials of a commission that has been fulfilled. Paul, over and over again, asserts himself as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what he is known by in every single letter. He describes himself as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes it goes even more than the, the word for servant, and sometimes it's the word for slave that he uses. And he's saying, basically, I've been fulfilling all that Christ has called me to do in the terms of being a better one, um, fully uh, completing the commission that Christ has given. And um, not just in the big things, not just in Corinth, but for all the churches. And there, that is a significant statement, I think. I, he's not just saying, I've, just been, I've been faithful to you guys. Absolutely, been faithful to you. I've, done, I've served you so well, and done da 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 All the churches, which those that are opposing him can't claim at all. 
Um, Paul, I think about the Apostle Paul and and marvel um, at what would be involved in the care of churches as the Apostle, not just in one country, but spread across several countries with many provinces and many cultures and many different nuances of ministry. And Paul is at home in all of them. And he was, you know, he was anointed by the Lord as an apostle for uh, that purpose. The Lord gave him that grace and gifting to do that. Unlike others who are, dare I say it, rather provincial in their understanding of authority and their place in God's kingdom. So Paul has fulfilled his commission. And then if you had any doubts about any of that and his dedication to to all those churches, we have credentials. This is the experience section of the resume. This is the, this is the employment history and how it worked out for him. First of all, he has a great deal of experience in verse 23 um, with, uh, with sacrifice. Far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Far greater, uh, that of course is in contrast to the false apostles that have been opposing him. I mean, this is his general, the generalization, the opening summary statement of everything that's going to follow. But it, it points out that whether it's imprisonments or beatings, whatever it is, Paul's sacrifice for the sake of Lord Jesus Christ uh, not done in a corner, public. There's no way that anybody could look at him and without just abject lying, say that didn't happen. It's everybody knew it happened. So he's experienced with sacrifice, experienced with opposition, verses 24 and 25. Five times received the 39 lashes, three times with, beaten with rods, once was stoned. Um, uh, How do you like dealing with opposition? You know, it's for many of us, particularly in this in this uh, age that we live in. You know, people don't want to get jobs, or they leave jobs because somebody looks at them cross-eyed, or tells them they did something wrong, or something else. It's like, and okay, maybe they could have been nicer about it, but you know. A little backbone would probably help uh, as well. Paul gets stoned, and what did he do? He got up, and he walked back into the city where he had just been stoned to be a comfort to the church. That's incredible. And again, not something that was done in a corner. Paul is... Basically saying, and uh, how many times has this been happening to you guys? The Corinthians were living at high on the hog. They had, you know, no real opposition there. The, the times of persecution had not yet arisen there. They were coming, but they had not yet experienced that sort of thing. 
Paul had incredible experience with opposition. He had incredible experience with dangers. He had this big long list of dangers here, dangers there, danger everywhere else. Um, but notice the last danger mentioned. I, I, I mean, we could spend a lot of time and I could point out everywhere where all these happened and I don't need to do that. But just think about this, this piling on of the danger from this, danger from that, danger of the other. But the end of, of uh, verse 26, I think it's no accident that Paul puts this one at the end of the danger list. Danger from false brethren. Think about this from the psalmist. Psalm um, 41, verse 9. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. You know, I think one of the things that was so painful to Paul about this whole Corinthian experience was that he'd started this church. They'd gone off to a great beginning. There are many people there. Remember the Lord promised, Paul, hang in there. Uh, Don't be afraid of uh, the Jews or anything else. I've got... I've got a lot of people here. You just have at it. And the church grew. It was a marvelous thing. And, you know, when, you, when you're shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, working on projects, and you do things together, and then, and then you get betrayed, uh, that is hugely painful. You know, if it was just, the, if it was just the, the wicked unbelievers out there that were opposing Paul, Paul, you know, that's par for the course. We know Jesus said, you know, they're going to, they hate me, they're going to hate you, and we, we come to expect that persecution. But when it's our brethren that do that to us, it is extremely painful. And Paul's had a lot of that, and it's present right here in the Corinthian church now. And I'm sure that that point was not lost upon that congregation when this letter was read to them. And then finally, in verse uh, 27, this resume wraps up with, all right, I know, <laughs> kind of comes back to, I know how to be exalted, I know how to be debased, I, I'm content in whatever state I'm in. But here we have uh, the experience that Paul has had with deprivation. And we see he's been deprived of, of ease and toil and hardship. That's been his life. Um, again, a stark contrast to the the, the wealthy uh, of of the Corinthian of the of the city of Corinth uh, that had all kinds of ease and had others do their work for them. No, not so the Apostle Paul. Um, through many a sleepless night, deprived of sleep, uh, often without food, deprived of food, deprived of just comfort and cold and exposure. Paul, of course, imprisonments and all the other things that he talked about from the various dangers and being at sea and, and all, those, all that other stuff that would have killed most of us. Paul says, that's been my life. Here's, this is a different sort of resume. This is a different sort of credential. And I think it's interesting that it's sandwiched between two things that are considered to be characteristics of those who are of no account. Someone who's jealous and petty is what he was accused of and someone who's weak and yet you read his resume here and there is no weakness here whatsoever 
all of the, the strength to endure all of that tempered by his care for the churches and longing for their well-being and being willing to be, to be seen as a fool, to be seen as weak, to be seen as someone who is uh, filled with petty jealousy just because he's trying to, as he was accused, of just build up his own name and following. No. Paul's resume is truly incredible, in stark contrast to those that were oppressing them. So let's talk for a few minutes then about what this means for us. I mean, it's one thing to say, well, okay, that's great, that's the Apostle Paul. Um, or, you know, to somebody who's in ministry, okay, that's great for you. Uh, I'm glad you're willing to take it on the chin for us, Pastor. <laughs> Did I say I was glad to do that? I, I, I guess I am. Uh, but I haven't, obviously haven't suffered anything like this. So what, what does this mean for us? When we talk about this in the overarching purpose of this book, in the tearing down of strongholds, and how we go about the warfare with our adversary, both in our own hearts, and when we see it in the hearts of others, do we go at it throwing our weight around? Do we go at it with our own agendas? Do we go at it with uh, petty jealousies to build up our own name and following so that people will go around and wave our banner? Do we flex our spiritual or intellectual or emotional or literal muscles such as they might be in an effort to control people and manipulate people? Or do we, do we depend upon the power of our Lord as Paul did to change hearts? and to minister to others. And when we talk to others and they want to accuse us of not um, really having the credentials, have you ever had anybody, when you're witnessing to, to somebody, ever had anybody say to you, well, you know, basically, who are you? What do you know about it? Why, why, are, why are you so all wise and why should I listen to you? And any number of ways of asking that question. But basically, uh, the world's happy uh, to dismiss um, your right to talk to them. And the worst ones are those sinning, professing believers who want to take away any, any right that you have to speak into their lives with the, the Word of God. Obviously, you don't go around and... Going back to our, our, uh, our uh, resume class... Um, here's a real big faux pas, real big no-no on a resume. Don't make stuff up. <laughs> Sooner or later, you will be found out. Sooner or later. So the reality of your life needs to match what's going on. So here's a, a, putting this forward, not to say, hey, go out and get yourself beaten with rods, for example, or go get in a shipwreck. But do live your life in a, in a way that demonstrates that whatever it costs to live faithfully for the Lord Jesus Christ and to speak his truth, you're willing to suffer that. And as you do that, your testimony and your word will have, to that degree, it will have credibility. If you make stuff up, like Paul's opponents, um, all credibility is lost. 
the fact is, of course, that none of us like to be thought foolish or to be accused of failings of our character or of our behavior or our ability. And because of that, many, like those who were opposed to the Apostle Paul, will put on a facade of selfish power plays and twisted credentials to hide their own wickedness and agenda. Don't be that person. You cannot serve God that way, no matter how much you sugarcoat your resume. You must be genuine, no matter what it costs. You must be willing to be thought a fool for the sake of the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious God, preserve us from our pride. Preserve us from the tendency to try to make ourselves look better in the eyes of others or even in the, in the eyes of you, our Lord, as if you could be deceived because of our posturing and pushing our weight around and oppressing others so that they don't ask too many questions about what we really are like. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would preserve us from those sins and help us to walk with humility before you and before the world around us. And if the world around us and false brethren think that we are, are uh, foolish for doing those things that you call us to do, then so be it. Let us accept that as from you and trust that your grace will sustain us through any and all opposition that may come our way. Let us be faithful in addressing this, the, the wickedness of this life. Help us, Lord, to tear down the strongholds of the wicked with your arguments, by your methods, to the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray.